Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about a murderer being convicted of murder with my friend Vienno. Okay. How are you, Vienno? Mmm... Alive. We can say that much. I guess the awkwardness is that, like, literally two minutes ago before we started recording, I already asked you how you were, so it feels a little weird. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, I don't want to repeat myself, you know? I don't want to give you the same information again. I'm just feeling a bit sick, so... Fair. I'm feeling tired, but hopefully... Uh, I'm sorry for the delays last week when the episode came out. Last week, for me at least, the week was uh, terrible. We're currently potty training my daughter... And it's hard, like, and the lockdowns are coming in, and it's just like everything all at once. It was just an overwhelming week. But my hope is this one will come out on time, we'll be back on schedule, and life will be beautiful. But that being said, it's COVID. It's been a shit show since it started. <laughs> I'm surprised I've managed at least since uh, around August. I've had, no, I think it was uh, closer to the before august it was way before august actually my brain doesn't know the sense of time right now the point being i've stayed on top of it pretty well i've gotten each week i think for most of the year so that's good <laughs> it hasn't always been on time but i've gotten it out and with that we can go straight into it with the imperial roundup hello my rebels hello my rebels I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from April 19th to April 23rd. Ezra goes off on Jason Kenney and Doug Ford for the sin of believing that the pandemic is legitimate and should be taken seriously. Ezra complains that he doesn't know who the MLA is for the riding where Grace Life Church is. Remember, this is the church that refused to obey COVID restrictions. And the suggestion is that they aren't a real conservative or they would be supporting the church more loudly. Ezra then rightly criticizes the new police powers instituted by Doug Ford to deal with this pandemic, but only focuses on the fact that these laws will target Adam Skelly's barbecue or Rebel News. You get the feeling that Ezra only cares about police state abuses if they target white business owners when the harms will most likely disproportionately affect more marginalized communities. Ezra is surprised that the mainstream media coverage has been negative regarding these new police powers. Uh, it was also disastrous in terms of how it was received. For the first time I can recall, members of the media were actually skeptical and critical. You saw that one question about snitching. But spends no time analyzing how this contradicts his narrative that the media and political elite want endless lockdowns and the creation of an authoritarian state. In fact, immediately after saying this, Ezra interviews John Carpe, Grace Life Church lawyer and founder of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom who argues that lockdownism is authoritarian communism. You know, lockdownism, and I, I like your term, and I think it's apt and accurate and fair to talk about lockdownism, is, uh, is an ideology 
that uh, does not want people to look at an authority higher than government. And we've seen that in uh, in communi- communist uh, Russia, in the Soviet bloc for many decades, from 1917 all the way through to the early 1990s. And that the lockdowns won't be temporary. And I am appalled that these government officials still dare to talk about temporary measures, oh. temporary police powers. We are 13 months into this. This is not temporary. If you believe this is temporary, you are naive. Carpe also argues that lockdowns don't save lives and that asymptomatic spread does not happen. And we're also going after the government for failing to produce evidence for its position that uh, healthy asymptomatic people are spreaders of the virus. Uh, The science just does not back that up. This is part of totalitarianism, is that you submit to the government. The government is the highest authority. The government holds out a great cause, and currently that cause is, you know, so-called saving lives, uh, which, of course, lockdowns don't do that, and the evidence is not there to support it. Even though cases and deaths start to decrease after lockdowns, which help to mitigate the spread of the virus, and even Ezra supported the scientific consensus around asymptomatic spread on his show almost a year ago. Carpe ends the interview by saying lockdowns are not compassionate because they throw people into unemployment and poverty. You know, it's not compassionate to throw people into unemployment and and poverty and misery. It's not compassionate to uh, take away people's lives and livelihoods. It's not compassionate to destroy the life savings that people have invested in their business. Never forget that the ideological commitment of conservatives is that it is better to die from a pandemic than to lose money. It is also worth noting that the government could implement policies to alleviate poverty during the pandemic, but you'll never hear Ezra or Carpe discuss that on their show. Ezra is mad at the liberal budget. He suggests that Trudeau wants to destroy the traditional family by enacting state-run daycares. And I really don't think it's a budget. A budget implies a balance, something that's planned. This is just everything. It's everything they ever wanted to spend, regulate, tax. It's really a great reset. Things that have nothing to do with the pandemic being excused by the pandemic, like a $30 billion price tag for a state-run daycare. When in reality, the Liberals are simply proposing a decrease in average costs for daycare. Ezra suggests that this Liberal plan is transferring money from stay-at-home moms and giving it to working moms to pay for their daycare. $30 billion over five years and $8.3 billion per year after that to create and sustain a national child care program. Goal is a $10 a day child care service by 2025. Just out of the blue. Just unconnected to the pandemic. Just a $30 billion nationalization of health care. Sorry, of child care. Which means transferring money from stay-at-home moms to working moms who need a daycare. Listen, I'm pro-mom, whatever the mom is. But I don't think the state should prefer moms who use daycares over moms who stay home. It is very hard to respond to something that is so confused in the first place, but even if we were to analyze this in terms of taxation, stay-at-home moms rarely pay taxes considering that they don't make money? I would know because I'm a stay-at-home dad, and instead of paying taxes, I received a tax rebate. Furthermore, It is the official position of this podcast that daycare should be a universal program available for everyone and that the liberal plan is woefully insufficient. However, 
It is also worth mentioning that the so-called traditional family is a modern construction and that historically kids were raised with help by the community at large. Ezra's main complaint with the liberal budget is that it mentions things like gender and race more than logging and mining. But I like doing word searches sometimes on big documents to sort of get the feeling for what a document is about, for what the government cares about. Uh, I, I mentioned that uh, one question, what does it mean to knock 25% of the country off of development? So I, I typed in the word forestry, for example. The word forestry appears six times, uh, half of which are in a gender analysis on the industry. Apparently, uh, forestry is a little bit too pro-male for the liberals. Uh, same thing with the word mining. Uh, industry that built Canada, especially Ontario, 11 times, mainly again to show how unfeminine it is. Um, what do they hate more than logging and mining? Of course, I don't know, Saskatchewan, <laughs> eight times, mainly to talk about how the carbon tax is going to ring it out. But look at the words they love. Gender, 727 times. 727 times the word gender is in a budget. Do you see that? This is because, according to Ezra, Trudeau is a communist who is working with George Soros to enact the Great Reset. But both of them had an authoritarian dream of remaking society in their own image. That's the communist way. They both admired strong men like Mao and Castro. Trudeau doesn't quite have the motivation or the brains of his dad. He doesn't have the work ethic or the vision. But he's happy to put himself to the service of others who do, who can fill in those gaps for him and make him just the public face of things. He's always been more of a mascot than a leader. Like when uh, Justin Trudeau first took office and he bizarrely outsourced Canada's immigration policy to George Soros's Open Societies Foundation. Soros has no connection to Canada. He's based in New York. Why would the Canadian government outsource our immigration policy to an activist lobby group in a foreign country instead of our own civil service? That's weird. It's not a conspiracy theory. They co-hosted a conference with the Canadian government about it. One of his first meetings after becoming prime minister was at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. You know the people who talk about how you'll own nothing, you'll have no privacy, and you'll love it. You know that weirdness? Here's a photograph taken by Trudeau's own staff of Trudeau, George Soros, and Christian Freeland, who was George Soros's official biographer. That's the thing. Pierre Trudeau was a radical in his own right. He was a leader. Justin Trudeau doesn't really know what to do, but he'll take instructions, and there are plenty of people willing to instruct him. Look at this. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. If you're still confused, Ezra clarifies that the budget is bad because spending, taxing, policing, regulating, and debt. These are, of course, all words, but it's not clear why these words are bad beyond policing. Since, beyond indicating that they are bad, Ezra offers no analysis. Ezra calls Stephen Gilbo the censorship minister rather than the heritage minister. Last night I showed you a few clips from Stephen Gilbo, Trudeau's censorship minister. I know his actual title is heritage minister, but he really doesn't care much about our heritage. Like Trudeau, he thinks Canada's heritage is one of racism and sexism and genocide. Ezra, again, focuses on the fact that Guibault is a lawmaker who is also a lawbreaker. He's a destroyer, not a builder. He's the only convicted criminal I know of who was appointed to cabinet. Have you, have you ever heard of that before? 
a lawbreaker becoming a lawmaker. As if breaking the law should disqualify you from being a member of parliament. It should be noted that Guibo was charged for scaling the CN Tower in Toronto in 2001 and then hung a banner that read Canada and Bush Climate Killers, which is honestly pretty fucking cool. But Ezra's stance against lawbreakers being politicians will probably not stop him from supporting Derek Sloan and Randy Hillier, who were both charged over the weekend for violating COVID restrictions. Ezra is talking about Guibault because he thinks moderation on social media needs to be improved. Guibault mentions that often content which tries to fight racism gets flagged as racist, since the algorithms are not robust enough to notice the difference between actual racism and people just talking about racism. Because these algorithms are, are trained to recognize keywords and not, and not so much the, the context in which these words are, are being used, a lot, of the, a lot of the content that is being taken down right now is content that is being posted by equity-seeking groups and, 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 and racialized people. Uh, why? Because they will use certain keywords that are recognized by, by the algorithms as being problematic, not realizing, I mean, the algorithms can't tell the difference between two black people talking about their, their daily reality and using certain words that they would use in an everyday conversation, not in a harmful way, and a white supremacist using the same words to, to, in a very violent way against a person or a community. Um, so we, we're, we're looking at the idea of putting in place a, an appeal mechanism when people feel that their content is unfairly being taken down by, by, by platforms. And, and right now, you have really no recourse to, 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 to deal with this. I mean, that's an interesting idea. I mean, Gilbo and the liberals call their opponents Nazis. They've even called me, a Jew, a Nazi. I find that an outrageous, offensive taunt. But is that okay for them to do because they're liberal and not officially Nazis or something? And I'm a conservative. What are the rules here? Who gets to say what? Because that's what he was talking about, right? Does he get to call a Jew a Nazi or, or can I call him a Nazi because I'm Jewish? What are the rules? Who are the lucky people who get free speech to be offensive? And who are the unlucky people who are censored? And can I self-identify? as whatever group I need to, to have free speech? Is he really going to make these decisions based on race? Ezra thinks this means that Guibault wants moderation to be based on the race of the person making the content, which is not at all what Guibault was talking about. Ezra interviews guest Spencer Fernando about censorship and liberals complaining about online harassment. Ezra says Catherine McKenna complains the most about this. Yeah, oh, and, and these are cry bullies. I mean, these are the people. I mean, I know there's a few liberal politicians that constantly complain about this. Catherine McKenna, I think, is the worst. Uh, I mean, the nickname that our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed gave her, Climate Barbie, if, if that is the worst thing said about you, you're doing pretty well in the age of social media. Which is, in fact, sexist, but also ignores the fact that McKenna has had her building vandalized with sexist slurs graffitied on the walls. Spencer argues that the left is taking over. Yeah, and I think what we're figuring out is the left is very good at getting into, into institutions that have a lot of cultural influence. And even they, they then kind of make things, uh, that's the best way to say it, things that almost nobody agrees with somehow become the norm, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll give an example. You know, I saw a Twitter trend yesterday. And I think it was referring to people who experience menstruation. Spencer then goes full mask off by saying that referring to people who menstruate as people is undermining the foundation of the Western world. 
they're trying to, in many ways, I think, undermine the foundation of the Western world. A big part of that is individual freedom and freedom of uh, conscience and freedom of thought. So if you undermine those concepts, you really don't have much freedom left after all. And then who's there to defend it, right? We've been, young people are told, oh, the West is just colonialism and oppression and evil, and you shouldn't feel any pride in the Western world. You should feel just guilt and, and feel other, other cultures are so much better. The West is terrible. And so who's going to defend uh, these concepts if everyone's being demoralized? Ezra adds that this is rich people toying with words and that cancel culture is alienating to working class people who speak rough and tell naughty jokes. You know, it's a, it's a rich person's problem to, to toy around with names like, you know, is it a woman or a person who menstruates? Because if you're a working class person, you're busy earning a living for your family. You're not splitting hairs about just the most exquisite phraseology. I think most of cancel culture is alien to how real people live. I think real people say rough things sometimes. They joke around. They make politically incorrect jokes. It is weird being lectured by two rich assholes about how working people talk, as working people. But in the spirit of speaking rough, Ezra and Spencer can go fuck themselves. And that is the week. Over the last few weeks, we have noticed a sort of pattern in rebel talking about their own anti-mask and anti-lockdown protests in a trend towards being more anti-police. And this is weird considering that the conservatives tend to be more pro-police. And even Ezra on the show has advocated for police since we started doing this back in 2019. The most anti-police that Ezra has been before these anti-lockdown, anti-mask protests was that he was mad during the rail blockades and the uh, gas strike that occurred in Alberta. The argument was that they're blocking roads and the police should do their duty and go in there and get rid of them. But since they're not doing that, that was his criticism of the police. And that is the only criticism that Ezra has really laid against the police since I've been listening to this podcast. Up until, of course, the last few months when they've started going down this like really anti-police line. And even people have noted online that it's like, yes, look at Ezra being a cab now. And I've always been like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't trust it. Like, he is saying some things, but, like, at the same time, and even, like, we pointed out, if you listen to last episode, they're saying things that they never said about Black Lives Matter, and it seems weird for them to be talking about it now in, like, say, relation to them knocking over a fence at the Grace Life Church, which happened two weekends ago. Ezra was in support of his own activists on his side knocking over a fence, but whenever Black Lives Matter, say, in Portland, knocked over a fence, he was like... Black Lives Matter are evil, they're violent Antifa thugs, they're destroying cities. But of course, when his side does it, when the police crack down, it's police abuse, right? Mm -hmm. I was curious with this trend of him being more anti-police to see where it will take us. And several things have happened this week that really sort of push Ezra's theories to the limit. And so... We're going to focus solely on how he's talked about police this week and see where this takes us. <laughs> oh, joy. But the first thing that we're going to get to is the police state, which was enacted briefly or sort of still is 
by Doug Ford. So for those who are out of uh, awareness... <laughs> or out of Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> Our numbers are not great. The pandemic is starting to spread throughout the province and our vaccine rollout has not been sufficient to keep up with the spread. Rather than doing things like, say, enacting paid sick leave or finding ways to pay for people to stay home, instead what Doug Ford decided to do was push a plan that would allow police to stop and ask people where they are going and if they don't comply to find them and then, and I think it was like $750 or $725, something like that. Yeah. Also ask where they're going, make sure that they're only leaving the house for like essential reasons, like going to the grocery store or whatever. Now, a lot of people thought that this was a terrible idea. In fact, I think it was like pretty much across the board said that it was a terrible idea. And Doug Ford kind of walked it back saying that it was, he's sorry. And he actually did an apology for this. Although it's not clear how much, uh, how much he has walked back or whether or not the police are still going to try to do some of the things that they said he would do, even though some police forces came out saying they won't do anything. But you know how we feel about police here and whether we could trust them. Yeah. So anyways, this is what has happened in our province. On Monday, the first thing, and so this is before things started getting rolled back. But on the Monday, Ezra ends the show with like addressing some audience stuff. And Ezra reflects on the fact that his audience is telling him that they're turning away from the police. Loretta Herzog says, I never thought I would lose respect for police the way I have this past year. Unbelievable. I feel the same way. And it is deeply painful to me. I do not like to be on the other side from police. But I swear it's not me who moved. They did. Which shows you already, for all those people who think that maybe the rebel's going to turn ACAB or some nonsense. That really, Ezra doesn't want to be ACAB. <laughs> Even then, like, it's the wrong kind of ACAB. If you're supporting, like, if you're against the cops because you can't be racist and, like, shitty enough, just flaunting, like, any sort of health measures, that's not the kind of A like, that's not, that doesn't get to the heart of what ACAB is. Like, it's very much a, like the exact opposite it just it's one of those like it's like celebrating like the january 6th thing as like a glorious insurrection against the state like it's like okay yeah it was they did go against the state you're right there but like is this the is this the kind of against the state that we want like ezra is acknowledging this about his audience and is aware that like he doesn't he doesn't want it he's like being forced to be like against the police so Andrew Lawton comes on as his guest. And Andrew Lawton seems to be less on this anti-police kick than Ezra is at first. Andrew talks about how the police forces don't want anything to do with these new policing powers. And so the first thing that Andrew Lawton did when these police uh, orders came down from Doug Ford was to call up local police groups and check in to see whether or not they're going to implement or enforce these new measures and of course a lot of them reported back to him to say that they won't and therefore andrew lawton gets to go oh look police are good see they're not going to enforce these evil measures dictated by doug ford that's a like rarely decent journalism thing to do though 
for like Andrew Lawton and like that ilk to be like, oh yeah, you know what? We'll just like preemptively check on things rather than just like wait for a statement or something. Okay. After Andrew goes down this list of like some precincts that have chosen not to enforce these bylaws, or at least stated that they're not going to enforce them. Ezra says, I have observed police in Toronto, police in Peel, in York, all these areas in in Ontario, and police across the country, and although they're saying that they're not part of Doug Ford's detention and interrogation strategy, I've seen them assault protesters. I've seen them handcuff people for not wearing masks. I've seen them throw people in the back of police cars just for standing on the sidewalk and not moving on. So I have to tell you, I take with a grain of salt this newfound uh, uh, belief in civil liberties. And it is worth noting that as he's saying this, on social media, this one police officer was caught without a mask and hugging people outside of a gym that refused to shut down. In the Peel region, this was a Peel police officer who was pro-anti-mask, anti-lockdown protesters and was then kicked, summarily kicked off the force because of it. And this is also the Peel cops, the ones that killed Ijaz Chowdhury and, like, are just horrible, horrible racists. So, like, no, I'm pretty sure they're on the anti-masker side. You will notice as well, this is going to be an ongoing theme throughout this uh, main segment which is that Ezra always has to make it about themselves, even though you could reference real ways in which the Peel police have been abusive. But of course, Ezra's main concern is that they've been abusive to anti-mask protesters. Well, it's, it's the same thing about, like, Montreal and, like, the Montreal police calling them, like, Jewish media or whatever, where it's like, he had to make it about himself. He had to, like... You know, there is no existence without reference to rebel media. But of course, even saying that about the Peel police, he has to backtrack and defend police by saying... Yeah, I know that no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop, but also bad cops drive out the good cops. And there's almost a self-selection. I mean, if you like cracking down on peaceful protesters, if you like bullying people for you know, tiny social interactions, as opposed to, say, chasing murderers and rapists and robbers, then you're going to be thriving now. And then goes, I have been a super booster of cops. I have not changed. It is the cops who have changed. <laughs> I, listen, I, I want to hope for the best. For the vast majority of my life, I've been a super booster of cops. I have not been able to be that for the last year. I have not changed, Andrew. It's the cops who have changed. The bad cops driving out the good cops thing is definitely, like, true in that anybody who joins the police force with the intention of, like, reforming or, like, not being a violent shithead is either made to be a violent shithead or forced out of the job. Ezra thinks the bad cops are the ones who don't beat up, like, lefty protesters, though. True. But there's also this line that Ezra always makes, which is this idea that rather than stopping a church, rather than making sure businesses are locking down, that police would much rather be stopping murderers and rapists and robbers. But how often do police stop murderers and rapists and robbers? Oh, they don't do that. No, they do like traffic stops. They do like 
menial tasks most of the time. It's very, like, murder, rape, and robbery are rare to begin with, and usually they show up after the fact. People really think of, like, cops like they're in, like, GTA V, where it's like you do something (laughs) bad and instantly, like, the star warning goes up in your vision and you're like, ah, shit, the cops are after me. (laughs) And they just, like, chase you down until you are in jail or dead. They just don't have a conception of, like, what policing is at all. It's walking down the street and harassing homeless people. So after the lockdown went into effect, there's a story that went very viral. Or I wouldn't say a story, a video, where a cop pushed a 12-year-old on a scooter. Because the 12-year-old was not complying with the police's demands to see, like, papers or ask where the kid was going. So the cop pushed the 12-year-old off the scooter because that's what a grown-ass adult should do when a 12-year-old is not complying with them, apparently. Now, here's the part that I found fascinating about this coverage. Both Lawton and Ezra, in talking about the 12-year-old who was pushed off a scooter, both had to hedge. And I, I will say, in the in the OPP's defense here, I, I mean, I, I'm always reticent uh, when I see videos that start midway through an altercation, and this is not to justify what happened in any way. It's just to say that I, I don't know. Welcome back. Wendy Lynn says, if I was caught on video shoving my own child to the ground like that OPP officer did that 12-year-old boy, social services would be at my door collecting my child. However, we do have to be mindful of coming to conclusions when viewing a short segment of video. You're right on both cases. However, I, I just can't even imagine a lad on a scooter being pushed to the ground. Like, uh, it, it, it sure didn't look like the kid was attacking. We get the earlier footage, and it's just the 12-year-old doing sick tricks on his scooter. He deserves to be shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm like, in what world... It- in what world would a 12-year-old boy just deserve to be shoved by a police officer? What what could a 12-year-old boy on a scooter possibly do? <laughs> do some what, sick-ass tricks. <laughs> what level of like harm or violence is possible? <laughs> the thing is, too, they weren't wearing a mask, okay, but they were outside, which is like not like high in the, the priority of... Or like high on the list of things where spreader events could occur. You know, you could argue that maybe the the kid shouldn't have been there, but it's like, it's a 12-year-old kid. You deal with the 12-year-old kid as if they're a 12-year-old kid, and you figure out some way to do it. You don't need a police officer with a gun shoving them off the bike or off the scooter. And the thing is, Lawton and Ezra eventually weave their way to that conclusion. It's just interesting to me that they both have to hedge it, as if there could be some possible scenario where a 12-year-old would like deserving of being shoved by the police off their scooter like there's some possible world out there where even the 12 year old boy is guilty it's also fascinating because then lincoln j their intrepid new reporter lincoln j goes to the town and he interviews some of the locals and one of the locals said somebody attacked a kid for being in a playground i no, i i feel very bad i feel very very bad i um I sh- probably shouldn't say what I'm feeling. It it doesn't matter if the kid refused to identify himself, he, he was swearing at the police, whatever the case may be, is there any excuse for that kind of enforcement on a on a basically a child? 
No, no, there's no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. No, I, I, I think the officer should be fired from the force and, and, and removed immediately. There's no, 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 absolutely no. I can't, I can't stress enough. The, the officer had no right to do any of that at any time. No, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it strikes me as odd because we're going to get into the Chauvin trial. And before we get into it, I want to contrast how they talk about this 12-year-old boy. Still hedging, still weird, but at the end of the day, they're still going to highlight people who claim that this police officer who shoved a 12-year-old off a bike should still be removed from the police force. And so now let's see what they have to say about Chauvin and George Floyd. Some of these I'm just going to flag. We obviously don't have to go into it into too much detail. Yeah. There's just like maybe a, uh, let's say, an Easter egg at the end of this that makes a lot of this kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so we'll get there. But he begins the show by highlighting the fact that George Floyd was a criminal drug user. I'm going to show you some tough video to look at, so turn away if, if you don't want to see it. It's a takedown of George Floyd by Derek Chauvin and other police in Minneapolis. Floyd was a serial criminal. He resisted arrest. He was on drugs. Chauvin was a cop trying to arrest him. Now, whether or not drugs should be criminalized is not brought up. And whether or not someone who uses drugs should receive the death penalty for it is never discussed. But Ezra just needs to put it out there that George Floyd is a criminal drug user. I mean, also that cops could automatically tell upon looking at him that he was a criminal drug user. What may have been the determining factor for that, Ezra? Because we do know now that he had drugs in his system, but at the time, they were not called to the scene because of any drug use. They were called because the cashier at the convenience store believed that George Floyd was using a counterfeit check or bill or something for like $20. Yeah. So again, there's even the level of like, why you would think that George Floyd was such a threat that you needed to use this force in the first place, merely for a $20 bounce check. But Ezra wants to talk about race too. So he moves on from just labeling George Floyd that way to wanting to get rid of the whole racism claim in the first place. And this is all that he says. He goes, Take Baltimore, a largely black city where a young man with a knife called Freddie Gray was killed in police custody. Freddie Gray was black, so racism, right? Here are the six cops who were charged in relation to his death. Three of them are black. Racism is confusing these days, so it could be. I mean, I, I shouldn't need to explain it because we, the whole world should hopefully be educated on this after what happened last summer and all the uprisings. But the problem is that this system is structured in a way that affects racial groups disproportionately compared to, say, white groups. And the difference between interpersonal and structural. So it doesn't matter if the people involved might all be people of color, it's the structure of racism that still exists and informs the outcomes. This is a good news, but he paints it as bad news. He goes, Baltimore is now finding it hard to get police recruits. And I say, hell good yeah. On, <laughs> I 
Good on you, Baltimore. And then he goes, Would you want that job? If you were white? If you were black? If you were anyone? I don't know much about Freddie Gray, or even Baltimore, even though I took a tour through its poorest parts. I think they really do need police there. The black people do. The poor people do. They need them. Rich, white neighborhoods, they usually have police or private security. I didn't see a lot of white people in those run-down neighborhoods, victims of crime there. That's his framing of this whole anti-police stuff. So you can already tell that he's siding against the notion that police can be at all racist. And he's also claiming with this Baltimore stuff that we actually need police. And how dare these people start to protest against police. Because we need to get rid of all these criminal drug users, apparently. Now we get to the trial. And the first thing about the trial that Ezra is going to bring up is the fact that one of the witnesses who was working with the defense, so was working to defend Chauvin for murdering George, George Floyd, one of those witnesses received a dead pig at their old house. So it wasn't even their actual house. I think the person who dropped off the dead pig head didn't realize that the guy had moved, but delivered a dead pig intending to have it at one of the witnesses' house. Ezra says that this is bad, and then he refers to this other instance where Maxine Waters, who's a congressional Democrat, she had said that if the jury does not convict Derek Chauvin, that basically the activists should continue to fight, and a lot of people took that to be witness intimidation or jury intimidation. And it's probably not a great thing to do in the middle of a hearing when you're an elected official. So I will say Maxine Waters probably shouldn't have said that. But at the same time, I don't think it would have mattered. The jury is supposed to be sequestered, so they're not supposed to hear this stuff anyways. Yeah, that's not... What is the issue there? The issue is that it could actually work to backfire where uh, this will be allowed to be used in a possible appeal. I don't think it would succeed. But you don't want to give them any ammunition like that anyways. So she probably shouldn't have said anything. No, I, I like it when, pro when politicians encourage, like, good kinds of protests. Ezra then plays a clip of Joe Biden. And in this clip, Joe Biden also claims that he thinks that Chauvin is guilty. And this comment was made after the jury was again sequestered while they were trying to render their verdict. So it's not like it could have had an effect on the outcome of the trial. But Ezra frames this as even President Joe Biden thought he would weigh in on the trial during the trial. Is that how you do it? They're a good family and they're calling for peace and tranquility, no matter what that verdict is. I'm praying the verdict is the right verdict, which is, I think it's overwhelming in my view. Powerful politicians telling judges and juries what they must do in, contention, in contentious cases. Is that how it works in America? Anyone is entitled to their opinion about whether or not Chauvin is guilty or not. That's not telling the jury what to do. That's just stating an opinion. Being on a jury must fucking suck. You're sequestered for how long? I can't check Twitter? The thing is, they can't really police that, so it's likely that the jury members are doing Twitter anyways, but they're supposed to be sequestered. That being said, notice as well, because I'm doing this in order that he talks about it on his show. We, we haven't really talked about anything that has at all to do with what happened. Ezra is clearly making the case that look at all these bad things that happened that like forced the jury to vote guilty. 
that somehow they were being pressured by all these politicians and other people, and that it was a setup that Chauvin was going to be found guilty. The overwhelming evidence was a was pressuring the jury to vote guilty. Ezra then gets into the experts. Was Chauvin guilty? Well, the jury says so. Some experts said, no, he died from drugs. He died of other things. But you saw what happens to experts who are politically inconvenient. They get the wall. <laughs> he doesn't tell us what happens to them. He just sort of like, you know, you know what happens to them. I know it should happen to them. Well, we believe in the ultimate cancel culture, but they're... <laughs> All this evidence was coming out by the time he did this uh, episode that even some of the witnesses that were used by the defense had really shady pasts. In fact, David Fowler, who was one of the doctors who claimed that George Floyd died of the drugs in his system and not because he had a knee on his neck for nine minutes, David Fowler is now under investigation for past cases in which he's defended cops. He's pretty much defended cops at every court hearing he's gone to. And now it's starting to come out that people are starting to think that he's uh, lied or done some bad stuff in court things, and he's being investigated. It's also worth noting that he's from South Africa and had a history of being a doctor within their apartheid system, only helping white people in that country. Holy shit. So these are the people that Ezra doesn't mention but just said, hey, the other side had experts. Ezra then talks about the, the Florida bill, which is mostly against protesting. But this bill calls three people a large enough crowd to be considered a riot. Really? And allows people to drive through protesters if they're blocking a roadway. This bill is going to be toxic, but the only thing that Ezra points out about this bill... It's Democrat cities almost always. You can't not notice that. Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis. The more woke, the worse. What a contrast to Florida, a Republican state. Look at this press conference the other day about the difference between rioting and protesting. I think it's really remarkable if you look at the breadth of this particular piece of legislation. It is the strongest anti-rioting, pro-law enforcement piece of legislation in the country. And there's just nothing even close. Uh, the bill does a number of things. One, it tackles head-on this idea that we've seen last summer and then we still see today uh, that there should be a movement to defund law enforcement. Now, obviously, the state of Florida, we're not going to do that under, under my leadership. But if a local government were to do that, uh, that would be catastrophic and have terrible consequences uh, for their citizens. And so this bill actually prevents against local governments defunding law enforcement. We'll be able to stop it at the state level. And this is coming from the people who are against regulation and all that other bullshit, which is all Ezra's been talking about this entire week is how regulation's bad. Isn't this budget bad? It regulates. And now he's pro-government regulating. And he also ignores the fact that this bill allows for a car to plow through protesters. Would Ezra support us driving through anti-mask protesters? Or do you think that would be something Ezra is against? But I think one day, an ordinary citizen won't be so friendly, won't be so peaceful, won't be so Good Samaritan-ish, and might throw a punch, or use a stick to hit, or, God forbid, a gun, or just drive over a road barrier and drive on someone. 
And I don't want that to happen, and I wouldn't support it if it happened, but I could understand it if it happened because as part of a community, as part of a country, there's a social contract. We give the monopoly of violence to the government, to the police, and we expect them to protect us all. And if they sit in their police cars having a cup of coffee instead of enforcing the law, why not? If it's the rule of the, uh, the jungle, if it's the law of the jungle, yep. why not? He understands that people want to drive through indigenous protests. He understands why they might want to do it. But then we come to the conclusion and he does say, Kneeling on a guy's neck is bad. Thank God, Ezra, that you were able to say that much. But then you know what he does? He compares it to their own treatment with the police in Ontario. Kneeling on a guy's neck is bad. We've had a little bit of police violence against our own reporters. Nothing as extreme, extreme as happened in these U.S. cases. Our people don't fight back. The police only go so far. It's just bullying, really. We're suing the police in Toronto because we're alive. You can't sue if you're dead. Of course he does. What else could he do? He's got to make it about himself, right? Like, that's, that's his whole thing. So we're done with uh, George Floyd. But he moves on to talk about the Makia Bryant case. And I will say, I've seen a lot of liberal people also try to defend the police on this case. And the reason is that Makia Bryant was holding a knife and was heading towards this other woman with, I guess, appearing as if she was going to stab them in some capacity and probably was going to. Like, it really doesn't matter if she was or she wasn't. The point is... The police officer then shot and killed her. And what the justification is, is often, well, she was going to stab someone, therefore she deserved to be shot and killed by the police, or something like this. But frankly, I don't think that that does merit being shot by the police. I, I don't think a lot of things merit being shot by the police, let alone shot several times and killed by the police. You would think they would know some other way to prevent someone or get them to not stab someone without having to unload several bullets into them and kill them. But somehow, because it was kind of going to be a stabbing, it blurs the lines enough that liberals want to go, oh, see, cops are good in this one instance. No, they're not. Killing a 15-year-old, amazingly, isn't good. That and the fact is when, when he arrived at the scene, she was holding the knife. He didn't do anything. He knew what it looked like. He knew whether or not it could do damage or not. There was a moment where someone was kicking another person on the ground. He did nothing about that, even though blunt force trauma could kill someone just as much as a stab wound could. And yet he felt the need to shoot and kill this uh, 15-year-old girl. And also, like, he is a fucking adult wearing a bulletproof vest, presumably. And, like, other, you know, protective equipment. If he had to get the knife out of her hands, I'm sure there were other ways than bullets. It's fucking infuriating, I gotta say. But Ezra asks, Is that racist? If the one black girl had murdered the other black girl and the cop did nothing, would that have been racist? Or was that even about race at all? The cop stopped a would-be killer. Isn't that the right thing to do? It would have been better if no one had died. But it doesn't always work that way in real life, does it? Now, the implication here is that she was definitely going to kill this other girl. We don't know that. We're not inside the person's head. This is, again, it's like prejudging the person as guilty before they even did anything. And that cop got to prejudge her to the point where he served her an execution. 
But again, no one's saying that it, the problem is like some sort of interpersonal racism here, whether or not that cop specifically was racist. I don't know. I'm not in that. I don't care what this cop believes in the heart of hearts, you know? They did a terrible thing. That's all I know. That's all I care. And it's also the framing again, like the options are stand by and do nothing or kill somebody. And those are the only possible things that a police officer can ever do. Now, I told you there was going to be an Easter egg. And so here it is. Look, I didn't follow the trial of George Floyd. I'm really glad I didn't. I don't want to know more than I know. Jody, how the fuck is that an Easter egg? <laughs> I told you, like, again, why, why is he even talking about this? I told you right at the beginning. He starts with calling of a criminal drug user, all this. He hasn't, he hasn't followed a single thing about this. And yet he's talking about it this whole time. Why would you drop that at the end? Why would you even spend a moment on this? And the reason why he says that he didn't follow a single thing about this trial is because he's like, oh, it happened in America. I, I don't want an opinion on whether or not he was murdered. The whole thing is awful. It's not our experience in Canada in the main. Okay, creator of Gavin McGuinness. Yes, creator of Gavin McGuinness, someone who's promoted Trump. Like, there's, he, he doesn't stay out of American politics ever. <sighs> Ezra also says that, bringing it back to the 12-year-old boy on the scooter. CTV is outraged about police brutality in the United States. I, I wonder if their opinion about that 12-year-old being pushed by the cop in Gravenhurst, Ontario, I wonder if their opinion would have been a little fiercer if the kid were black. The media cared enough about it. Like, that, that clip was everywhere and everyone talked about it, so I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. And then he ends by saying that wokeness, it's wokeness that is killing police. Policing is broken. Police are too often being used as political errand boys by politicians, especially during the lockdown. And they're demonized for fighting criminals when that's what we hire them to do, we need them to do. I know they sometimes go too far, but in this day and age, would you even take the chance as a cop? I mean, you get a fair trial if you made a mistake. Would you just stay out of certain parts of town? Just turn a blind eye to certain criminals. Just look away. Don't get involved. Wokeness is killing police in two ways. Too bad it's poor people and minorities that'll hurt the most because of it. And the thing is, why do you think that minorities and poor people are targeted by the police more often, Ezra? Also, the wokeness is killing police? What cops have died? Baltimore, see? But killing to them is like Baltimore not hiring more police officers because no one's applying. <sighs> I hate this. It, it is amazing to me that they conflate cancel culture with killing. Just like YouTube killed Rebel News is how they talk about them being like kicked off of uh, YouTube for a week or them being demonetized. It's YouTube, YouTube's trying to kill Rebel News. And here, wokeness is killing the police. Yet a police officer actually killed George Floyd? And he did everything he can in this fucking piece, never to mention that. Never to look into the camera and go, Chauvin killed George Floyd, and George Floyd did not deserve to die that way. Did not deserve to die at all, but did not deserve to die that way. Yeah. So we're going to end with uh, Hillier. We'll try to go through it pretty quickly. Hillier pops on the show, and consider this. The interview with Hillier happened right after the monologue that he did about the Chauvin trial. Mm -hmm. And so then he's interviewing Hillier, and the first thing that comes out of his goddamn mouth are that the police are hunting Randy Hillier. 
Chief Mike Callahan of the Belleville Police has boasted that he is investigating an elected member of the provincial parliament, Randy Hillier. Normally, you don't even announce an investigation until it's concluded and charges are laid. But this police chief is getting into the spirit of a police state, and he's announcing through the media who he's hunting. And it just so happens to be he's hunting the elected member of provincial parliament. Who joins us now? Honestly, I really want, I want that to be true. I want a province-wide manhunt on Randy Hillier. Checkpoints at the entrance to every city in the province. Hard border goes up. Everybody must show their faces to prove they are not Randy Hillier. That's the real lockdown we want. (laughs) A police state, but only for Randy Hillier. (laughs) The vaccines have microchips just to determine if you're Randy Hillier or not. Oh my god. Elon Musk's working on the technology right now. And we're sending Hillier to Mars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, you get you get all all of again, all the Chauvin trial, all the Black Lives Matter shit, all the things he said in the previous segment, and now he's comparing Ontario police to Nazis, who he said the reason why they're Nazis is because the Ontario police are just following orders. Um you know, it's been eighty years. Uh, since the Second World War, and we always criticized German police, German soldiers for, quote, just following orders as they did terrible things. And again, I don't want to uh, lightly make a comparison between what's going on here and, God forbid, the Holocaust. But we always said just following orders is not an excuse. If you're doing something deeply unethical, deeply immoral, the people who wear uniforms, who take an oath to uphold the law and the Constitution, there is a point where they have to say, I'm just not going to do this. I don't disagree. We got it. It's yes. It's just like it's it's the hypocr- it's the hypocrisy and the way that he means it. Because of course, when it's the police just following orders and over policing black neighborhoods, Ezra's completely cool with that and think that it's like terrible that we're defunding it. But then Randy Hillier, who's holding anti-mask rallies and spreading disease across this country, then it's cool and it's Nazi-esque if you try to stop it. Mm-hmm. And then Hillier's response is, rather than rejecting all of this crap that Ezra is saying about Nazism and totalitarianism. You bring up that analogy of the Second World War. It it wasn't just the people in uniform who were conforming to these immoral and outrageous uh, obedience of orders. It was also the population. And, And we're seeing a great many people here in Canada embracing a totalitarian um, perspective, a totalitarian war, uh, and I and I say and I use that term purposely. Um, this has turned out to be a war against what Canada is and what Canada has always stood for. It's a war against freedom. It's a war against the individual. It's a war against personal responsibility, and. You know, and of course, there, there are no bombs or bullets being thrown, uh, but but the coercion, the intimidation, um, and the relentless barrage of fear that governments are, and public health bureaucrats are 
bombarding people with. It's like, why don't you show some personal responsibility? I'm not the one going around breathing diseases on people. They then refer to public health professionals as politicians with MDs. We saw that with Doug Ford himself, the premier of the province, where he said, if I disagree, if anybody disagrees with a public health bureaucrat, and let's that's what they are. They are not doctors. They are not medical professionals. These guys are have never held a stethoscope. They have never seen a patient. They're bureaucrats. Ezra focuses on the fact that they're not general practitioners. And Hillier is stuck on the idea that they've never even held a stethoscope. And I'm like, those aren't the people you want dealing with a public health crisis. They're the people that know whether or not you're sick. They don't know how to organize epidemiological, like, structures, you know? (laughs) There's reasons why we have, like, different sciences, you know? It's not like when you're a general practitioner, you're therefore a specialist in everything medical. But also, if they have MDs, chances are they have held a stethoscope. Are you talking about maybe like a master's in public health or something instead, Ezra? Or is it like, you know, you don't know that MD stands for medical doctor? I just know that there's different specializations. Even if I'm correct, and there's some people who graduate with an MD that never hold a stethoscope, it doesn't make them any less like qualified to deal with a global health pandemic than someone who specifically is a general practitioner who has held a stethoscope, you know? Yeah. It's not like the stethoscope is the thing we need to care about. <laughs> yeah, like, but it's just like they're trying to f- create like bullshit buzzwords or something like politicians with MDs. Yeah, I fucking hope they have medical training. Does being a politician mean like bad? Does having like goals that enact change upon the life of others mean bad? Which is ironic, coming from the fact that Randy Hillier is, in fact, a current sitting politician. Yeah, like you're a literal fucking member of provincial parliament. You're the politician without an MD. Then remember, there's a war against what Canada is, and part of what Canada is is individual. Individualism, right? Mm -hmm. But they then go on to talk about how we are currently engaged in social murder. We are engaged in social murder by our political elites. What do you mean by that? Well, that that our, our, that our elites, our public health bureaucrats, our politicians are enacting policies that they know will lead to the premature and unnatural death of a great many people. We're seeing this with suicides, with overdoses. We're seeing it with delayed medical attention and, and, and scre- cancer screenings. I've, and heard, I've heard the phrase transplant. statistical murder. I heard that from John Stossel. He's saying the decision will cause all these deaths. So obviously there's not that criminal culpability, but we're making choices that we know will have a disastrous effect on lives. I got a question for you, Viano, because a lot of people speculate about suicides during this pandemic. Given this past year, do you think suicides went up, stayed the same, or are lower? I'm pretty sure I already know that they're lower. They're lower. That's right. Which is kind of counterintuitive, but some people say that it could have to do with the fact that people are home with social, like, with a close-knit group, and that has, like, either mental health benefits from that in terms of suicide, or it could be that there's people around, it makes it more harder to 
or there's more people to say stop you from doing it or so on, right? It's just weird how these things work out. A lot of people thought that suicides were going to go up. In fact, they went down. I would lean more towards the fact that there's across Canada pretty decent compared to usual at least like still not adequate but there is like government financial support so people who are struggling financially before might have a bit more money and a bit less stress I mean I've had the serve as well but I'm I don't know if I'm any less stressed I'm definitely more stressed than I was the year before Yeah but for like like think like a retail worker in Toronto type of thing or just like minimum wage worker in general if they're getting an extra like $2,000 a month and maybe not working or maybe working like part-time, but still like, you know, that's 2000 a month plus whatever they are able to make. I remember when I was on CERB and stuff, I was making around the same, if not maybe even a little bit more than I was at my usual retail job. It is financially helpful, and that is a huge, like, benefit for people. No, you could be right. I mean, the thing is, it could be a ton of things, right? Yeah. But the point is, I mean, like, you could look at the numbers here as well, and it's clear that we have excess death in this country, even taking into account decreases in deaths from the flu. Mm -hmm. So COVID really is as bad as they're saying it is. Then Hillier wants to chime in on the whole Nazi discussion and says, just like the march towards Nazism, we are facing conformity. We're demanding conformity. That's what is at play here. We are rejecting a foundational premise of Western liberal democracy that open, honest, healthy debate will lead us to good outcomes. And just like the march towards uh, Nazism, there was conformity. Everybody must conform or you will face consequences. And I know there's a great many people in the uh, Ford administration who understand that they are, and their policies are tantamount to social murder. Hmm. And, and they're fearful of speaking out. I hate that they get to use these words with absolutely no historical understanding. Yeah. Or no just even ideological understanding of what these words, what these movements meant or what what they did. They just get to say conformity, therefore Nazism. Meanwhile, they're, they're holding rallies. <laughs> they're trying to get people to conform to their position. How is that not Nazism then? <laughs> this is so stupid. Until they are having competing proto-fascists show up to their rallies and just kill them all, I don't think they get to say it. Fair. And then we end with the fact that Ezra, throughout this whole week, keeps focusing on this idea that it isn't good when police are targeting an opposition politician. He says this a lot this week. In particular because he is mad at the fact that Maxime Bernier keeps getting targeted for uh, coming to these rallies, he keeps getting mad at the fact that Derek Sloan is being targeted, that Randy Hillary is being targeted. And again, as I said in the Imperial Roundup segment, Randy, Derek, and I even believe Maxime, even though he's not an elected politician right now, all three of them have been ticketed over the weekend and charged with various uh, defying COVID lockdown restrictions. I am nervous for, it might not be next week's episode, but it might be the week after because... 
Derek Sloan and Hillier were both at the Church of God in Elmer. Yeah, that's where they got the tickets. Yeah. So, like, whenever that episode comes out, I don't want... That's too close. That's, like, (laughs) 20 minutes, half an hour away. I don't want them... No, we're not... Ezra's not allowed to talk about London. Ezra, he had joy in his, like, tone when reflecting on, like, a liberal politician who was engaged in uh, domestic violence. And he was happy that, like, this liberal was getting his comeuppance and the idea that he's a hypocrite because they always like to pretend to be feminists and here's one engaging in domestic violence. I can't remember his name. I think he, he's out of the, the Liberal Party. But here's a, a liberal politician who was facing charges. And Ezra didn't frame it in terms of, oh, it is never good when police are targeting an opposition politician. Why does the fact that they're a politician matter at all? If Hillier and Derek Sloan and Maxime Bernier are flaunting the law, then they're going to get criminal sanctions against them. This is the thing that's annoying. If Ezra wants to stand there and tell us that these laws are unjust, then just stand there and tell us that these laws are unjust. The police are not targeting them because they're opposition politicians. Frankly, I, like, I don't want the police targeting anyone at this point. Yeah. But I wish that Ezra had the same concern for other groups of people who are being murdered by the police as he does for politicians who simply get a slap on the wrist because they're defying the laws that are being put in place during a global pandemic to protect the rest of society against the spread of disease. You can keep on wishing for that. I'll keep on wishing for Ezra to get COVID. (laughs) Oh, I think yours is going to come true faster. (laughs) God willing. It seems like protest season is starting back up again, and with the, um, with specifically the murder of Makia Bryant by the police in Columbus, Ohio, we do have the Central Ohio Freedom Fund slash uh, Columbus Freedom Fund uh, to specifically shout out because there are ongoing protests there. People need support to stay out of prison. We'll link their PayPal in the show notes. Uh, and maybe their Twitter as well, I guess. Support your local protests as best you can. It's a little bit difficult here in Ontario right now because of the whole lockdown situation and COVID being bad enough that we're calling in the army, I guess. Since we can't really go out and protest ourselves, I guess it's the best we can do is try to send some funds to those of us south of the border who are able to protest right now. And if you're a, an audience member from the States and you're going out there, wear a mask. Stay safe. Still go out there, but wear a mask and stay safe. I'm not telling you what you should or should not do. I'm just saying, stay safe. Yeah, and get your vaccine as soon as you can, please. And that goes for everyone. If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private face 
Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we will be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. EST. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. And for those who don't know, those are links to the Discord, the Twitter, the YouTubes, everything you want. It's in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And the police. Not the 80s rock group, but the police generally. <laughs> you canceled! Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields.